Good morning, Idaho. Hope you're having a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to the Local Yokel Idaho podcast, where we talk about what is going on in the wonderful state of Idaho. In this episode, we'll be discussing Idaho's population boom, which, you know, we all kind of know a little bit about. But hey, we all love to talk about it. We're Idahoans, right? Some of the open primary stuff that's been happening in the state, plus some talk about Teton School District and some interesting things they're doing over there. Welcome and thank you for joining us for the morning banter for everyone that stayed and a Merry Christmas to y'all. I hope you're having or had a wonderful Christmas depending on when you're listening to this. We are recording this before Christmas so I have to remember okay for me Christmas has not happened yet but for whoever's listening to this it has happened probably so I have to get that stuck in my head. But before we get into any more of that craziness and weirdness and things I have John as many of you know my editor he's co-hosting with me today. I am here to Tyler, how is how is your Christmas season shaping up so far? It's shaping up well. Granted, I feel like most people can relate with this. That last stretch to the Christmas season, <laughs> that those last couple presents, trying to get everything just quite to fit, uh, that that is definitely happening right now in my life. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I'm I'm in the same boat, but it's all right. We're still within the uh, two day shipping for Amazon, so yeah, it'll 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 be fine. We're fine. It's all fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. It's just that meme of like the house burning around the dog. It's yep, all fine. It's fine. <laughs> I know for me, as weird as it sounds, kind of almost relating to the Idaho related things that we've talked about. It has been hard for me to get a couple of the presents I've been meaning to just because of the fire that happened at the Walmart. If you remember that story that we covered, because there was, okay, I need to back up. I am tripping all over myself. Basically, the Walmart in Boise, that main one there that is really close to my work, so it's really accessible that I could just swing by there and pick up stuff. That one's closed, and so I only have these small windows between when I get off work and then trying to do the stuff for the show and different things, and there's a couple presents, and a couple of them are at Walmart, but I'm like, well, I can't go to the Walmart here, and then to try to go to the Walmart out by <laughs> me is busy, and then the last couple times I've traveled on the freeway, it's been horrible traffic, and it already it took me like an hour yesterday, so that would have been Tuesday to get home, and so I, I keep trying. Trying, but because of, I don't want to say it, but because of Walmart's issue, we'll put it that way, I have had to try to figure out how to make three different stores that are like all across the valley and stuff trying to get them. And it just might be a mad dash on Saturday, which I really don't want to do because I know that's probably going to be everyone else. Yeah, join join all of join all the other people on Saturday who haven't bought presents yet. I, I've been there before. It's no fun, but I've been there before. Well, I've gotten the vast majority. It's just the the few handful of items. They're not nothing, shall we say, too complex. And so I was just like, I'll pick them up locally. Well, I, I should have thought of that like a week before Christmas because my life is insane doing two full-time-ish jobs. And then Christmas showed up at the doorstep. So that has also been happening and trying to get that done in like a three to four day period, which is, I'm impressed with how well the Lord has blessed me. We'll put it that way. Well, there you go. It should end up being a good a good Christmas season. Indeed, indeed. Especially for those up north that are getting all the wonderful snow I'm hearing about that's falling up there. Granted, I'm kind of envious for any of you up in northern Idaho. I don't know what we'll get later. I think there's a weather report of some snow Saturday. I don't know about Christmas. I'm hoping it'll move. Or either just stay. Idaho has this amazing thing called inversions. So if it snows Saturday, in theory, and we get an inversion, the snow will stay put until Christmas Day. But... 
with that said, John got all the parts for a new PC, which I assume is working? It is. I got it all fit and functioning, and it it's the machine that did the, what, it's done the last two shows now? Nice, nice. Yeah, it has turned it from a chore into something I actually enjoy doing, which is nice. Hey, that's good. I mean, anytime you can make work more pleasurable is a plus. But in any case, John has a new PC, which means hopefully John will be less frustrated with the software that we use here because I know I've had it a little bit myself and I feel bad for John with some of the experiences he has described and I've heard of with him trying to edit the show. So please give him <laughs> a round of applause that, that that age is over. He is in the Cadillac era That's right. of editing. That's right. <laughs> and the new year will be even that much sweeter. Yep, pink Cadillac, here we go. <laughs> Anywho, we're going to ride that pink Cadillac into the next stories here because that's the best transition I got, ladies and gentlemen. And parking the pink Cadillac and jumping out into Idaho with our first story here, Idaho's population boom. This comes by KTVB7 by Justin Kaur. According to the Storage Cafe census data, Idaho is a top destination for newcomers with almost 25 people for every 1,000 being new arrivals. Interestingly, our neighboring states, Wyoming and Washington, are seeing a decrease in their populations, contrary to what we're kind of having here. So as many of us have discussed with friends, who are these newcomers? The largest group moving to Idaho is millennials, established professionals, and families. And where are they coming from? Well, we can all kind of guess that. It's pretty easy. California. In fact, the majority of newcomers to Idaho are from California, followed by Washington and Colorado. These folks are primarily moving from populous areas like LA, Seattle, and Denver, seeking a change of pace in Idaho. And then talking about the impact on the housing market, which we love to talk about here a lot in Idaho. This is like just a whole string of buzzwords for Idahoans. The U.S. Census data shows that many of these newcomers are able to become homeowners in their first year in Idaho, often selling their homes in California, Seattle, or Denver for higher prices than homes here. This has led to concerns about locals being priced out of the market as demand and prices increase. However, recent data from Intermountain Multiple Listing Services painted a a slightly different picture from November 2022 to November 2023. The number of homes sold in Ada and Canyon County decreased by 5.1% and 8% respectively. Prices have only increased by 1% in Ada County and have actually decreased by almost 4% in Canyon County. But like most cases, there's another factor to consider mortgage rates. Currently, we're looking at almost 7% for a 30-year fixed loan. While this rate is slowly decreasing, it is still higher than last year, making it difficult for many to afford homes, including yours truly. The Federal Reserve recently announced that it's holding its key interest rates steady, which influences mortgage rates. However, Fed Chair Jerome Powell hinted at potential rate cuts in the coming years. So while the influx of newcomers isn't drastically driving up home prices, the high mortgage rates are a significant hurdle for many potential homeowners, which I would say that last bit there is a apt conclusion that the interest rates are definitely there. The other part that I kind of wanted to throw in there is the part about inflation. That, that, that is another part on top of those interest rates that is making buying homes a little harder. 
But yeah, every time I've told people this as I've been researching for the podcast and other stuff and trying to keep on this because obviously for anyone listening, we as Idahoans love to talk about the fact that housing prices have gone up and these Californians are buying us out and different stuff, which yes, it's true based on the reports and stuff that they are coming here, you know, with obviously more money from their house that they sold and LA and different areas like Seattle or Denver or something and then coming here they can buy something far cheaper but due to that intermount in the listing data which I didn't I don't write the data it was just very interesting to see there with that decrease of 5.1% or 8% on what was it homes sold in Ada and Canyon County which I feel like it just keeps rocketing up but yeah it's just it's interesting and I feel like some people want to disagree with me on this and I may get some emails or I might have people reach out to me after the show (laughs) on this one or please go double check me if I'm wrong please correct me and we'll make a correction next episode but yeah this is a topic us as Idahoans love to talk about well and it's not something that it it's relegated to just us in Idaho I mean I've been having these conversations what uh, actually today is my anniversary so I have been married for 15 years as of today so I've been talking about this for the last 15 years congratulations thank you since 2008 nice which is right when the market crashed last time. <laughs> yeah. So what we need to do is take your anniversary year and we can use it to predict future crashes. Uh, you know, maybe. You're like, yeah, there's the 20 mark. No. Well, these things do go in cycles. <laughs> I, but yeah, I mean, I, I've been looking at housing prices for the last 15 years. And I, I mean, outside of the, the crash in 08, which rebounded relatively quickly, everything's just gone up and up and up. What is interesting, though, is that it, it, it is looking like housing prices at least have kind of plateaued here in, in the Treasure Valley, which I think is a good thing. I don't know, but we'll I guess we'll find out in the, in the coming years. I mean, it, it's a good sign for those looking to buy. Yeah, I don't know. that It continues the conversation we've had any number of times about building homes efficiently and cost effectively. And, and so, you know, there should be technologies that are coming out. We we talked about the the laser engraving of the plans onto the slab, but there's also other materials that are starting to be used in different ways. I know graphene is one of those that is starting to come into its own, and we could see a lot of interesting things happen because of that in the in the coming years. But it doesn't really help us right now. Right. And I think, honestly, one of the cricks of the issues is, you know, it's it's hard to track and I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but I know the bare bones enough to, I guess, try to call it or point at it is that, for lack of a better word, the U.S. dollar has been manipulated like crazy by the Federal Reserve after World War II. And so when that happens, it makes it kind of unstable to just hold U.S. currency. And so I think you've seen a lot in a smart way. Investors and bankers and those that have a lot of money have put that money into real estate, into land, into houses and different stuff. And so when you're sitting there and you're realizing, well, why why is this so expensive? Why is that so expensive? Why, especially for the housing related things, I think a lot of it kind of ties back to how much we've messed with, which we should of um, the U.S. currency, and then that gets reflected in that houses are being treated more now than they used to in the past as almost like gold or a form of currency.
cryptocurrency when you're talking about big capital groups. And then you're like, well, well I'm not, and my family, that person isn't, and blah, blah, blah. Well, this is true, but those people are dealing in hundreds and thousands of different houses that they have under different firms and things. And when they move and the way that real estate is treated, and that has a bleed down effect of how the other markets within housing and realtor across the country end up acting. And so you, you see these numbers, and I, I feel like a lot of the times it's really tied to how horribly sometimes the US dollar is doing and how stable it is and how much people are retreating into those houses and then not and different things. But then again, that's my own speculation there. Yeah, I think I think you're not far off. I don't think the Fed has done us any favors in terms of costs for anything. There's certain administrations that have wanted to be like, well, I want to flex the U.S. dollar a little bit. And flexing has results, maybe not in your administration, but it will have effects down the line, which as much as I love our electoral system, it's one of its flaws is one guy can come in and do something and then the other guy doesn't have to deal with the results of it. So that that is a detractor. There's no one perfect system. But I know it's a topic us as Idahoans like to talk about, and I thought I'd make sure to give you guys a update on what's going on with that. Now, speaking of policies and things, Idahoans for Open Primaries gathers momentum with 50,000 signatures. This comes by the Bonner County Daily Bee by Bill Bewley. Idahoans for Open Primaries, a group advocating for more, quote, inclusive, end quote, voting system, has announced they've secured 50,000 signatures for their petition to end closed primaries. The group's goal is to get the Open Primary Initiative on the November 2024 ballot. If they succeed and the measure passes, Idaho could see a shift from its current closed primary system, which has been in place since 2011, to a nonpartisan primary system open to all voters. This would be a game changer for the state's 270,000 independent voters who are currently unable to vote in a primary election unless they join a political party. However, not everyone is on board with this proposed change, as one can guess. Brett Reagan, chair of the Kootenai County Republican Central Committee, has voiced his opposition, arguing that this initiative could lead to uniparty elections, implementing a complex rank choice voting system, and potentially allow candidates to misrepresent their party's affiliations. To get this initiative on the ballot, the campaign needs to collect valid signatures from 6% of Idaho voters who are registered at the last general election, which amounts to 62,895 signatures. We also need to gather signatures from 6% of registered voters in at least 18 of Idaho's 35 legislative districts all by May 1st. This story could reshape Idaho's political landscape, so we'll keep a close eye on it as it develops, which I had no idea this was going on until I read this report. I also, Eileen Republican, I'm not in the uh, libertarian camp or kind of the independent camp. I am I am a Republican for all of our failings many a time, but I, I didn't know that we had a uh, closed primary in that sense. So I personally, for me, I'm in support of having the closed primary. Obviously, I'm I'm not the person that's really affected by it, so kind of biased, you could say, on that point. I, I think generally we see in politics, let alone in the Republican Party, an issue of consistency or not consistency, communication. I am trying to find the word.
word, but like a cohesiveness between the voting blocks and different things that trying to pull that all together so that you actually have elections. Problem that really happens with elections is if you, in my opinion, if you get a situation where you have so many candidates and it gets so fractured and so split, one, the voting gets super, super hard, which I know that's not enough of an argument not to do a thing, but then it also makes it really hard, especially for, you know, say you have a nice candidate, you've got a great independent candidate or whatever, but a ton of his votes are going to get stolen by the charismatic Democrat that has all this funding of a party and different things that gets to move and can do door knocking or vice versa for the Republican. Or, you know, someone really props up this one independent and then he's not accountable to anybody, any party, whatever else, which I would argue from more of an authority standpoint, it's good to have affiliations. It's good to be part of parties that keep us accountable accountable because as human beings we we have habits of going off the range yeah this one's interesting to me i remember hearing about it not too long ago and it it seems like and you can probably correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like having an open primary kind of defeats the purpose of having a primary like the purpose of a primary is for the party to figure out who the party wants to run and the the party is a private organization they do what they want they do it how they want to and so why would it make sense that the party asks for the input of people that aren't affiliated with them now i understand that idaho is a highly partisan place we have many more republicans i guess by populace than we do democrats right we we have a a good amount of the more libertarian, which the libertarians, I know they have like a party nationally, but it's not really party because part of the doctrine of libertarianism doesn't really lend itself well to any authority structure, in my opinion, as best as I understand it. So it usually doesn't get a lot of traction. Yeah, well, and then they all they all end up hating each other and no one knows what a libertarian actually is or believes. So there's also that. Yes. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, this one, I find this one weird because, yeah, like what's what's the point of a primary if you are, if you, if it's just an open election? Now, I understand the Democrats here and, and independents also have open primaries. Cool. Great. I, I guess that makes sense. I, I don't know. It just, it seems, it seems really weird. It seems to me like this is a stunt by Democrats who are saying, we want to have a say in the politics of this place, even though we're in the vast minority. Right, right. Or the fact of, you know, yeah, we want to vote on who your club decides on who's going to then face us, which that doesn't make any sense. You don't when you're playing football, you don't let the 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 opposing team's coach pick and have a say and who your quarterback's going to be. That's kind of, yeah. that's not a great idea. Now, I could hear the counter and, you know, trying to play devil's advocate here of a person being like, well, I'm not saying that, you know, maybe there would be some bad actors, but it's not for Democrats to be in there. It's for us independents to have a say because we don't want to join some party and blah, 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 blah. And I would say as much as I've heard the arguments made for, you know, a two-party system's bad and all these different things, which... I, I think there are some legitimate arguments to be had there. I would say the best thing that you need to do independence or, you know, independent of the primaries, right? But with primaries, I don't think you should be involved in that at all unless you have your own primaries for your, like, the independent party or, like, the Tea Party or the Libertarian Party. And then, cool, have your primary for your candidate and figure that out. But you 
you shouldn't be voting primary on who the nominated candidate is for a given party. I get that you don't like, you're like, hey, I want to be a Republican, but I also don't like the Republicans, so I don't want to be affiliated, but I want to choose the leader, which is this weird, just non-committal, which I would argue there's some other things you need to look at in your perception of reality to kind of solve that issue, but that if you really wanted to have an effect as the kind of third wheel, you really need to have a cohesive party to actually have that structure and voting nationally if that's what you really want. Yeah. Well, and you you mentioned it. I think the thing that solves these issues more than open primaries, I think it's ranked choice voting, to be perfectly honest. Oh, no, I'm going to get murdered. You're going to get murdered? Your your listeners don't agree with that, do they? Oh, none, none of the Canyon, hardly none of the Canyon County or any Republican I've talked to in any leadership role, including the chair, Dorothy Moon, supports that. But go ahead. Well, okay, hear me out. And, you know, I could be wrong. I could be wrong for anyone listening out there who just just blew a gasket because (laughs) you think I'm wrong. No, that's great. That's great. Come at me, bro. But seriously, like, I could be very wrong, and and I'm okay with that. I've I've been wrong before. I've changed my mind on things. It happens. Where I'm at right now, though, is the, the party in power has no reason to want to change anything because you're in power. Like, that's that's just how it works. But ranked choice voting to me makes sense because it allows people to vote for who they actually want to vote for. Think back a couple of years ago to when we voted for for in the, the what the 2016 election. It was Trump and Clinton. I didn't want either of them to win. Right. And so I voted for, gosh, whoever the guy was from New Mexico, Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson was on the ticket. I voted for him because, you know, I was in New Mexico and he was governor. He was fine. He was great. He was he advocated for things that I thought were good ideas. He's kind of a nutso, but whatever. I voted for him. I knew that he wasn't going to do anything. So a lot of people I then talked to were like, wow, you threw away your vote. No, I voted for the guy that I wanted to be the president. I don't see that as throwing away my vote. That's what the system is supposed to be. You vote for the person that you think would be the best for the job. The problem is we've gotten into this state of mind where you you vote for the the lesser of two evils now. You don't vote for who you want to be the president or the secretary or, or, or anything. Whatever position. Yeah, you you vote the you vote against the opposition, which is a terrible way of voting. I think that's one of the reasons that our politics are so bad is because we look at two people and we say, "Well, they're both terrible. I guess I'll take the the less terrible one." No, that's not how I want this to work. I would rather you be able to say, "Okay, this is the person that I want to vote for." But if that person doesn't get enough votes, then this is the next person in line. So at that point, I would have said, Gary Johnson is my first. Second would be Donald Trump, because there's no way in hell I want Hillary Clinton running the United States. And I would have done the same last presidential election with Trump and Biden. I probably wouldn't have voted for Trump. Well, I don't know. At that point, I probably would have. But if there had been a third candidate, I might have voted for that third (laughs) candidate. And a lot of other people might have as well. Kanye. I Well, I don't know. That would have been interesting, at least. So I I don't know. Again, I could be wrong. But it seems to me that, that the system that we have right now is not about voting for who we think is best. It's for voting for who we think is the least worst of two options. And that, I think, is a terrible system that is poisoning our politics because no longer are we allowed to talk about who is best we're only allowed to talk about who's the worst option of two so anyway that's that's my diatribe on on ranked choice voting (laughs) 
Hey, fair enough. I I've been meaning to really dig into it and chew on on it because I've I've heard both sides. I've heard people that are very much for it, which is primarily you know kind of the Republican or not for it against it. And don't clip me on text. That are not for it. That are in kind of the more Republican Party in different leadership roles here in Idaho, and then people that you know are against it and all, all the different sides. But I mean, more focusing on kind of your point there. I I would argue that maybe you're looking a little bit. At the, what I'm hearing from you, trying to solve the symptom rather than finding the problem and solving the solution. And I would more argue, well, why do we get to a place where you're choosing between the lesser of two bad candidates? And I would personally argue that is because of a lack of involvement in people's local political parties, be it Democrat or Republican, that if people were more involved in that, the effect it would have on shaping the type of candidates that do end up making those platforms and even get close enough to get those nominations and win those primaries, right? Because, you know, the people that are voting and giving those support are those people that are actually involved in the Republican Party. I would argue more involvement both in your local party and just your party as a whole rather than just waiting until the presidential election, which is what America's kind of slipped into rather than it wasn't in the past, is a far better solution than trying a, a new system of voting, in my personal opinion. But that's coming from the very, you know, conservative, don't change things too quickly type of mindset at times. Yeah, which I, again, I, I, I get it. I understand. I, I just know that what we have right now doesn't seem to be working, which, I, again, I, I agree right. that, that, yeah, we don't want to change things you know, just because something isn't working doesn't mean that we should change it. But also, this has right. this has been the case for how, how many years? How many years has it been true that we voted for the lesser of two evils? Gosh, all of the elections that I've voted in at all levels of government, be it federal, state, local, it's always been the lesser of two evils. Everyone talks not about what they do or have done. They all talk about that their opponent is bad. Gosh, and that goes back. I voted in both for, for both Obama terms. I Gosh, when did I start voting? I would have to think about that. I don't remember if I voted for Bush the first time or not. But, but every single election I voted in as an adult, I voted for the lesser of two evils. So, you know, that we're talking, what, I'm 37 now? We're talking this has been the last 20 years, and, and that's the case. And we've seen politics get worse and worse and worse in the last 20 years. And that's just 20 years. That's just from Bush on. That's not even looking looking back even before that. Like So if, if a problem has been persisting for 20 years and, and we do nothing to change it on a systemic level, well... Are we really trying to solve the problem? I don't know. Maybe we are, and maybe I just don't see it. But but I it it seems like it's it seems like it's people in power that don't want to give up power. I think we also have to be careful. And I'm not saying you're doing this, but you know, another question that pops into my mind with that you know thought process there is: are are we aiming to have a system that always gives the the perfect candidate? Which no candidate's going to be perfect. It's a center up there on the podium. Would be my argument. And try anytime you try to anytime someone tries to aim towards saying perfection, it gets me scared because that's what communism tries to do. Not saying that's what you're going after, but communism tries to sell this lie of yeah, we can make utopia on Earth. That's a lie because we live in a fallen world, so nothing can be fully, truly perfect and 100% great. And so within our voting systems, we want to aim right for the best system, and that, that's that's a noble cause. But we also need to be under no illusions and not have the presupposition that we're trying to build a system that is going to produce the perfect candidate that 
everyone will want because, you know, sadly, politics is trying to play this balancing act, right? The lesser two evils, like you gave the example of, of trying to find a guy that's like, okay, cool. This is the guy because we don't have a king, right? We have a president. This is the guy that can kind of bridge the widest gap and in theory through the election, right? Be the leader of the United States in ICTO Factor, kind of the free world of all the different kind of viewpoints. And is he going to make everyone happy? Probably not because, you know, the United States is huge and there's a lot of different viewpoints. But hopefully in that system, you get the best candidate that hopefully covers that wide range. So you're always going to be, in my opinion, because of that, voting for the lesser two evils because you're never going to have your perfect guy unless you're in the majority. Right. And there there again, we have its its majority rule. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. The biggest thing that I do know is that we are helming a broken system and we're watching it drive into the dirt right now and that has only escalated in the last several years so are there things that we can do to improve the system and i i I don't know i i see ranked choice voting as as potentially something that would move us towards a solution and like i said i could be wrong but i i I think at, at the very least it's a thing worth considering seriously right right well, in any case, we'll, we'll try to move on to the next story here. But I have no doubt we'll get plenty of wonderful comments on this section. And if you're someone who found that interesting or disagrees, with, please let us know. Because if we get enough in the new year, I might spend some extra time digging into it and uh, make a special episode on it. Because it seems to be a, a bit of a hot button topic. And I haven't dug into it a ton. I've just seen the fireworks from a distance. Uh, But we'll move into our next one that's a little less politically orientated. So as you all know, In-N-Out has come to the valley, and so the topic of burgers has come to the forefront. But here's kind of a little bit more of a Boise staple. Boise's Big Bun Drive-In, keeping the burger tradition alive for 70 years. This comes by the Boise Dev by Ann Daly. And so it's time to take a moment to appreciate a local classic that's been serving up delicious burgers for nearly 70 years, the Big Bun Drive-In. It first opened in 1954, ooh, the golden years of America, by a local family on the central bench off of Overland and Curtis. The Big Bun Drive-In has been a staple in the Treasure Valley. Co-owner Tyler Kellogg says, quote, Though times and ownership have changed, we carry on the tradition of serving quality food with a smile, end quote. Now, what sets Big Bun apart from the chains? Well, it's all about the freshness and local sourcing. Co-owner Joyce Kellogg explains, quote, We make as much as we can from scratch and try to buy what we can locally. We don't pre-cook anything, end quote. The menu features Idaho-sourced items like spicy chicken sauce from Capture 28, huckleberry pepper jelly from Leaping Lizard, and a fish sandwich coated with beer batter from Powderhouse Brewing. Big Bun has managed to blend the old-school drive through feel with new kitchen technology to speed things up, with two drive-up windows and outdoor seating that is heated in the winter and cooled in the summer. It is a year-round destination for burger lovers. So next time you're craving a burger, why not try out a piece of Boise's culinary history at Big Bun Drive-In. They're open Monday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m., which, funny enough, I lived really, really close to this place, and I always drove past it, and I have never eaten there. I, I literally, as a kid, probably could have driven up there, or not driven, bicycled up there in less than probably like 10 minutes. I lived super close to that area when I was growing up, but I always saw it, and... 
I guess this is where marketing comes in. I saw like the orange colored checkered patter on there, which honestly, it's not a bad thing. But as a kid, I was just like, what weird place has that type of pattern? I don't want to go in there. That's some weird establishment. So I, I never dropped by just based on judging a book by its cover, which I guess guilty on me as a kid. But now after reading this, I actually definitely am going to have to swing by. You know, funny enough, it's often these places that make the best fast food. Like we've been talking about in and out a lot. Boise has been talking about in and out a lot. The Treasure Valley as a whole has been. Yeah, which blows my mind. But it's these places that often have the the best food, the best fries, the best sauce. They they actually have the best meats. Like th- these are the places where it's at. I know I was in Albuquerque for a long time and there are some chains down there and there are some that are good, but man, the places that are the best are the local places where there's, you know, there's, there's one, maybe there's like four or five of them throughout the city, but there's just four or five of them. And, and they make, those are the ones that make the best, the best stuff. And so this one, this one would be high on my list of places to go check out. I need to swing by. I know currently, currently my the best burger I've had and the way I kind of like it is Bad Boy Burgers or Cowboy Burgers because there's that new one branded over there. I think they have the same menu. Bad Boy Burgers is still around. I, I don't know what's going on there. But anywho, their burger I've always really, really enjoyed. It's probably not the best quality patty of meat, but the way they cook it and the flavor and stuff, it's just great. I'll have to drop by and see if it will beat that. Both the both these establishments are in Boise. Granted, for me, another thing I'm going to have to check, which I'm curious, because sometimes some burger places, they're really good on their burgers, and then they're also really good on this, but then some others are just only good on the burger, is milkshakes. I'm really curious to see how good of a milkshake they can make, because I love a good milkshake, and I need to drop by there. But I also, reading this story reminded me that I went up to Moscow last week, and I didn't mention the banter, so I'll kind of shoehorn it in here a little bit. And we stopped by a burger place that is up there in Moscow that I had no idea about, but the minute I posted it over on Twitter, I had one of the gentlemen over there at the Idaho Freedom Foundation that I know. I'm guessing he probably went up to college around there or stuff, but it's a place called Humble Burger, and he was commenting, oh, you got to have Humble Burger, that's so good, blah, 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 and I had no idea. <laughs> this was like a must-see <laughs> thing in Moscow. I was like, like, okay, I'm glad I stumbled across it. <laughs> but no, it was it was really good. The only critique I would give on the burger that I had up there was standard, the way they made it. And they didn't have any of this stuff here that I, that I wanted for it. But standard, you have the burger and you can get like a single patty or you can get a double patty. And I think you can get a triple there at Humble Burger. Someone might have to correct me on that. But that it came with like, I think, cheese, pickle, and something else. I'm blinking it in my head. But I think that's like it you got on it. And for me personally, a good a good burger has lettuce and tomato. And then depending on the quality of cheese, then you have cheese on it. And that's what I like as a good burger. So I was eating it. I'm like, this is a really good burger, but it doesn't have lettuce and tomato. So it might have been the best burger ever, but it didn't have lettuce and tomato. So it, it kind of ended up being like on a scale of 10 being the absolute like, you know, God made this burger. It, it was probably like, I, I put like seven, eight, somewhere in there. It, it was a good burger, but I, I really was craving the lettuce and tomato yeah i'm with you on that lettuce and tomato are integral to a to a good burger it's just the the lettuce adds a crunch the tomato adds a freshness and then you have the warm burger and then there again the quality of cheese. I know for me personally, my favorite to have on a burger is Swiss cheese. I, I don't like American cheddar on a burger melted because I, I leave it at that. American cheddar ha- usually is not cheddar. It is some Frankenstein thing. 
Yeah, I guess so. If I were to if I were to think about my ideal burger, a bacon and blue is up there. You know, bacon and blue cheese, right? So that would be one. And and on that one, there there is no space for lettuce or tomato. Like those <laughs> those aren't those don't need to be there. Or it's just your standard standard burger, I guess. Like like a cheeseburger. Yeah, just a cheeseburger. Like I I, I those that's kind of what I would I would want to get down with. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I I can't remember. There's a place. I think it's in Caldwell. I haven't had it yet, but it sounds so good. Where they make the the patty, the burger patty, right? But then they like grind up bacon and then put it in the patty, and then you have the lettuce and tomatoes, so you don't lose space, but you still get the bacon, so you can have like all of it together, and it's a more compact sandwich. And I've heard some people rave about it, and I've never heard of any other place doing that. I need to drop by. I can't remember the name. I want to say it's the Almano but that's a Mexican place or kind of a Latino type of place we've talked about that's there in Caldwell. And there's one across the street from Acapulco that's by Postal Office. I can't remember the name of it. It might be that one, but it might, it might be Indian Indian Creek Steakhouse. They might do it because they're the ones that do weird things. Like no, they, they do great things. I've had some of their food that's good, but oh my word, do not go there if you're on a budget. The price of things like appetizers are like $12. And I was like... Oh, this is insane. Like, but then again, I, I don't go out to expensive dining a lot. No, that's why that's why some of these fast food places are great. Well, in any case, if you're in Boise, please go check it out. I'll have to work through my past prejudices and actually drop by and try this. I probably will really much really enjoy this. But yes, if you're in Boise, please go check it out and let me know what you think. And I should be there shortly in the future. So moving from midday meals to end of the weekdays off, we have Teton School District shifts to four-day student week. This comes by the East Idaho News by Mary Boyle. So there are some significant changes coming to the Teton School District that are set to reshape the educational landscape. Starting in the 2024-25 school year, students will experience a new rhythm to their learning with the implementation of a four-day student week. This isn't a decision that was made overnight. The school board, after two years of careful consideration, community surveys, and discussions with various stakeholders, has voted in favor of this plan. It's a move that's been shaped by efforts involving the board, administrators, and the calendar committee. Now, you're probably asking the same question I am. Why the change? Well, district officials believe this shift will address critical needs and pave the way for positive enhancements in their educational system. It's about adapting to the times and finding innovative ways to support both student learning and community needs. But there are still some things they need to work out before the new schedule takes effect. The district is now tasked with defining the finer details, such as school day start and end times, Friday programming options, and the overall school year calendar. The district's message to parents and community members is one of unity and optimism. We believe that together we can create an educational environment that best serves the needs of our students and community. Which, coming from a homeschooler, welcome. Welcome to the party. It's a nice one. It's nice to have a four-day school week. But there's another part of it, <laughs> as I was reading about this, that definitely had me take a pause, which is this: the public school district, we don't hear about it specifically as homeschoolers and I think also as Christians. Oftentimes we, we see the homeschool as this big behemoth that you know is invulnerable at times of what it does with COVID policies and so on and so forth about different things, right? But 
in doing some brief research for this article, school districts are struggling, like bad public schools, not not in maybe big populous areas, but outside of those where teachers aren't wanting to be a part of it, the pay, they don't want to be teaching the different curriculum, especially in rural areas. And so schools are having to get creative of like, well, we don't have enough money to pay you to stay. Or we can't hire anyone because no one's interested. And so there is a story that's going to be coming out later in the week in the uh, midweek report where Nampa School District, they're going to be closing four schools in Nampa because of stuff like that, which one person can look at that as a bad thing. I personally look at it as a good thing because I don't think public schools, period, are great. My personal argument is that we should go back to what America originally was, which a lot of our education pre-Industrial Revolution was done by church and by the community. And I think that worked wonderfully. We had many, many well-learned, well-rounded people that came out of that system and they weren't bumbling idiots, especially in America. And I think moving back to that would be fine. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. It's it's interesting to see the shift in what's going on in our public schools in the last couple of years. Like you said, I, I saw that article about Nampa closing schools today at some point. It popped up on my Google feed. And it, I think it tells a part of a bigger story about parents finally starting to look at what their children are learning in schools and saying, no, no, that's not what my children need to learn. I'm going to purposefully put my children in an environment where they will learn what they need to learn. And so our public schools are going to shut down because they suck. And they suck across the country. And they suck no matter how much money you give them. Some of the most well-funded schools in the United States are some of the worst performing schools in the United States. And so even that article or even that argument of just, well, you know, the the school, they're not funded enough. The teachers aren't making enough money. Those aren't arguments because we have data directly conflicting with those arguments. It's not a matter of how much how much money you dump into the system. It's a broken, failing system. It's a broken, failing system, kind of potentially like voting. But that gets us back to another topic that we don't want to touch right now. <laughs> we've, we've already been there. That's um, in the real view mirror, John. I know you're really tempted to go after it. You're like a cat with the laser. Like, yes, let me add. <laughs> I, hey, man, that's what I'm good at. I'm good at. I'm good at beating dead horses. Let me tell you. But yeah, no, I. I as much as it sucks for the the teachers at these schools who are good teachers, and I'm, I'm again going to make that distinction, the good teachers I know it sucks for because they actively and actually care for their students and want to see their students succeed. But I think this is a good thing. I think our, our school system has needed a, ref, a reformation for a really long time, and this is going to be good. Yeah, the, the public school system has had so many flaws, and I, I don't think it's amount of money that needs to be solved. But on the topic of good teachers, that I, I remember I was talking with a gal and I was it was some program with drones and stuff. And I think this was earlier in the year I was doing some project with some drone work. And there was a group from BSU there and they were helping out so they could learn stuff about their drone program and some of the teachers there. And it was a lady that she had been in the education system. She had taught up in McCall. It was actually funny. One of the gentlemen about the same age as me, as me there, she found out she had taught him when he was younger up in McCall. It was kind of funny, small world, right? But that she was slowly trying to be like, yeah, I want to pivot 
into doing tutoring and or looking for homeschool co-ops where I can start teaching and either making a little bit or something because she truly loves to teach. And, you know, I wouldn't call in the experience that I had with her, you know, some rock rib Republican or whatever that, you know, is doing it to stand up to the system. But just purely she wants to teach in the public school system. It really sucks to do that. And the kids aren't really getting the attention they need rather than at homeschool co-ops or private schools or other means where I, I would argue where the education should have originally been, not in the hand of the state, is kind of going back to. But we're getting on the broader stuff here. With the school doing this, as guests, the benefits of doing it is uh, cost savings. The other one is improved like student attendance because, you know, if you say, hey, you only have to be in here for four days a week, kind of people, you know, are more willing to make that commitment and be responsible enough and show up for that other than not. Other one is probably more time for students, which this one I think is a, a good idea. I could see some more strict parents being like, students don't need more time. They need to be under the boot. And I'd argue, well, yeah, they need to learn about their curriculum stuff, but there's so many things, especially, especially in the public school that students aren't getting taught certain life lessons of, you know, I would argue maybe economics, social side of things, family structure, all these things that if they're at home more and including with the parents, you actually have to then deal with and learn. And I think overall will hopefully be a better thing. And also, as said, will hopefully attract more teachers to be like, hey, you're getting the same amount of pay, but you're only working four days a week, which can be quite attractive in a rural community where you only have to work four days a week and then the rest of it you can go hiking or different stuff, especially here in Idaho. So that'll be interesting to see if those can turn things around for the Teton uh, County School District there. With all that said, we've come to the end of the episode here. Thank you for listening to the entire podcast. I sincerely hope you found it enjoyable and valuable. Please share it with a friend if you did. It's the best way to help the podcast grow. We're on YouTube and Rumble and over there on the Twitter, and I think you can find us pretty much everywhere except for on Facebook products. That's a different story. If we missed any important points or provided incorrect information, please feel free to reach out to us via email at localyokelidaho2022 at gmail.com or on Twitter by tweeting us at LocalYokelIdaho. With the small team we have here, we're not able to cover everything, but we do our best to cover the most interesting and important stories. Thank you for your continued support and assistance. That's all for now. I wish you a fantastic rest of your week and a Merry Christmas. Godspeed. <laughs>